0: There are many references that we find in Scripture that have to do with jars or vessels, pots of clay, sometimes described in the old King James language of earthen vessels. Most of those occurrences in Scripture focus on a physical object, but some of them typify the molding or the shaping of a person's will and character eventually. One of those places found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd invite you there to just turn and mark that. We'll be coming to that text a little bit later in our lesson together. Paul teaches there, we are but jars of clay. Our physical nature is decaying, it's easily ruptured, it's easily broken. But we have something within us that is of greater value and strength and resilience than just our physical makeup that we see when we look at one another, so that it may very well be that the one who is most physically frail among us might have power living within that is beyond belief as we see them and observe them. It is good to be here this morning. I appreciate your presence, as has already been said, and uh, appreciate the singing out and uh, partaking together as we have in worship already this morning. I appreciate so much those who serve us in this way and help us to worship God as God describes for us to do in Scripture. It's one thing to find that ability within oneself, it is another thing to have people assisting and helping us in finding that, so that we can do it better than we would if we were just... Simply by ourselves, for example. It's great to be able to be with the family of God, doing what God wants us to do, the way God says to do it. There's uh, something very, very special about that, as you all well know, on the first day of the week, uh, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And we honor him and praise him today in our worship together. If you are a visitor and you have questions about that or something else that you'd like to talk about, uh, we are always available for that. You can talk to me or others of the ministers here Uh, or the shepherds here, uh, any of the the brethren that you know assemble here with these brethren, the the saints here at this family, love to hear from you and talk to you more. Great to see everybody this morning. There's no way to measure the power that we gain when we know someone that we respect or love is for us, Uh, has an idea of believing in us, and we know that about them. Think about that in your life. Isn't that true? It might be parents. It could be uh, a struggling student whose parents believe in them. And it gives them the ability to give, just do the extra, go a little beyond in order to make the grade. Or it could be a professor or a teacher, something like that. It's been a source for athletes whose bodies was, were telling them, we can't go, I can't go any further, but they hear the coach and they hear the words, I believe in you, I know that you can I know that you can. Marriages stay together because of spouses who believe. Not just in God, but in one another. According to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'd invite you to turn with me to that text, just not because we're going to read that text, but to recall what is there in the text. We sometimes call that the the chapter of the heroes of faith. I have come to believe it's more about our hero God than it is the people who are listed there. But at any rate, Hebrews chapter 11 lists all kinds of people who were faithful to God and how God cherished them and God was for them and God pressed them to be more than they would have otherwise been able to be on their own, obviously. Striving forward to what lies ahead. Hebrews chapter 12 goes on to say the following, look with me there, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A couple of things that we need to notice in that text. And if you're familiar with the Hebrew letter, I know you're familiar with this little section. I just want you to recall briefly because it's going to lead into more of what we're going to talk about in just a moment. Notice first of all, he says, it is our in our best interest to offload anything that weighs us down. Now, you've heard people talk about that maybe before. That could be a hobby. That could be a special interest that you have in life that takes you away from being more of who God wants you to be. That could be placing your family in the place of God even. It's the idea of not putting God where God belongs in His life and letting something, not necessarily sinful in itself, just something that takes first priority in your life besides Him. Whatever that is, God says that's a weight and we have to learn to let go of that and cling more closely to God. That doesn't mean we have to just let go of everything. It's just the idea that don't put things in higher priority than what you put God in your life. That's all he's getting at there. But he doesn't stop there. Notice that he goes on to say here in this text, any sin that clings closely to us That's important for us to understand. Both of these things, ladies and gentlemen, can result, brothers and sisters, can, they will, result in eternal failure. He's not just saying these things because they're good ideas. Hey, it's a good idea. You might as well think about it. He's saying this because if you don't do it, you end up damned. You end up separating yourself from God. You end up in a place that you cannot fix on your own. And you need superior and divine help to do that. Anything less than persisting in doing, being who God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do. Anything that persists in sin and holds closely to that rather than to God will kill us. It will kill us. But that's not all he says in this text. Look at what he says. Witnesses are testifying witnesses are watching witnesses are speaking cheering witnesses these are not the witnesses that are in a courtroom and they criticize and they cast doubt on our race these are quite the opposite these are these are witnesses that believe in us These are witnesses that press us on. These are the witnesses who say, I know you can do it. You can be successful in the race. I know that you can. These are the spectators who've run the race before us and now watch us from the finish line. A bigger than life stadium surrounds us, brothers and sisters, if only we would stop and notice it. If only we would hear the cheers of the crowd of those who've run before us, those who've succeeded in that race, those who are continuing to cheer us on, to push us forward and say, you don't have to let things cling to you, and you certainly do not have to persist in sin. There is an option, and we know the option, and we're pushing you to take that option. We know you can. We believe in who you are because of God who lives within. You know, there's names in that audience that we ought to take note of. Some of these spectators in the stadium that we race in, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and the other judges and David, the other prophets, and thousands upon thousands of others. They testify to the fact that they believe in who we are, in what we do, in where we're going, and what's at the end of all of that. With our belief in God's promises of help and protection, we too can run and we can succeed. Just as these people did, they cheer us on as we watch them, as we hear them from the Word of God That when we read it. As we run, we see and we hear all of these great people of old. Some of them recorded, as we said, thousands of them not recorded, but still mentioned. But it is not them that we have our eyes glued to, is it? We see them as we run. They pass by in Scripture as we read it. And we see them. We hear them. But the text goes on to point out our eyes are focused on one greater. As we stretch our gaze and we lift our heads and we look into Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of what gave them the ability to finish the way they did, and us to finish the way we will. His witness gives us the greatest strength of all. Look at what the text says. Who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he do that? For the joy, he says, set before him. What joy is that? It's the joy in watching us succeed. It's the joy in seeing us do well as those who come before us have done well through Him and His way. It's because He believes in us. Why does He believe in us? Is it because you and I are so great? Is it because... We're strong, made a way for ourselves in the faith. We're strong in the faith. I'm strong in the faith. It's because we are inerrant. We commit no sin, we have no cracks in our armor because we're pretty wonderful. I wonder if we know why God believes in us. Paul touches on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'd like for you now to turn over there with me. In verse 6, he uses an illustration of light from creation. He goes all the way back to the Genesis account in chapter 1, and he reminds us God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. We know that in a different term. He's paraphrasing. The term we know is, let there be light. Boom. Even before the sun was made, light existed. Because it came from God who is light. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we recognize that the same powerful God who created light in the world at the time of creation has created light in us as His creation? A recent adult class in the book of John, you might remember, illustrates this. The thoughts came to mind as I was thinking about that even just this morning. In John chapter 3, verse 19, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We need light to exist. John 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The Hebrew writer takes our mind all the way back to the spoken power of God at the moment of creation of light. And then he quickly brings our minds to the light of Christ which He has placed in people's lives still today. But, Verse 7, here's the weak link in all of this. This treasure of light, truth of salvation from God through Jesus, is what he's talking about there when he talks about giving light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That wonderful message... And the power that it contains, the writer points out, we have in jars of clay. Here's a question for you this morning, brother or sister. Why would God give something so powerful, so important, so life-changing in the world to be carried around by those who are simply jars of clay? Any light we have, ladies and gentlemen, is stored in us by the one who created light and by the one who created the jar of clay. God believes in us because it is he and his truth which exists on the inside of us. There are many references, as I made mention of, to jars and clay throughout Scripture, and most of those occurrences are talking literally about a jar or some utensil made out of clay. But every once in a while, we get a glimpse of something of what God thinks about us as an individual, the character that he has created. Even in the very beginning, the first humans ever created were made from clay. What did the Lord say to Adam and Eve? Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You're just clay. You're just earth. That outside of you is temporary. It's essentially destructible. Easily destructible. Broken. Easily broken. Destroyed. Easily destroyed. But I would say, brothers and sisters, if we only focus on the frailty, the weakness of our earthly vessel, this jar of clay... We're missing the fuller meaning of what God is saying in all of this. We are the weak link. We should understand that, and it's pretty clear in Scripture, even about what we've, from what we've read this morning already. We are often cracked. We are often far less than perfect. And we know that God did not choose us because we are inerrant, because we're powerful in and of ourselves, because of some other reason that we could come up with how beautiful we are. He chose us actually because of the weakness. Paul says that the treasure within is the powerful thing to focus on, not the outside container that holds the powerful thing. I will ask you this question. I want you to keep thinking about it as we we study together for a few minutes that are left. Do you find a privilege in that? Is that, is that amazing in our minds, in the way we think, or do you take that for granted? You know, God could have proclaimed his message, whatever that message would be, he could have proclaimed that through some angels with trumpets that blast down on the earth. He could have done something other than what He has done. He could have caused a thunderous atmospheric sound to all of a sudden enlight every human who's ever lived from the beginning until now and on end through history. He could have used any powerful means He chose to use to declare His Word, His ability, His glory, His message of the Gospel, the salvation of humankind any way he wanted to do it. You see, I find myself taking for granted the fact that he did not do it that way, and instead he housed this powerful message of truth, the, 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 the biggest thing of all time in all of creation, in pots of clay. Just jars of clay. Now, why is all that important? I want you to understand, and I think you probably already know, but let's re-emphasize the point in our own mind. There is no strength in a jar of clay. You know that. It's just a container, and in fact, it's a weak container. It won't even hold up to the, uh, to the uh, long-lasting elements of the world. Too much rain on this container, and it will disintegrate, break apart, decay, Another thing about pots of clay or jars of clay is they're not fancy. I mean, we're not talking about silver and gold or bronze. Most basic thing in the universe it's made from. And that means that they're most often pretty unattractive. They're just simple containers. Not meant to endure Forever. I say to you that if we were beautiful and polished vessels, then others would see that and they would miss the treasure from within. You see the reason for modesty among God's people? Because it's not about on the outside. That's not what we're wanting everybody to notice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 10, we go on to read the following there. Paul says, the reason God has chosen jars of clay is to show the power to save and endure and persist in this life belongs not to the jar, but to Him who gives it. He doesn't deliver His power only to the mature among us or those who have been Christians the longest. He doesn't deliver this power only to those who struggle the least in their life or have clocked in the most closet time hours in prayer. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the greatest and the most powerful treasure ever known, living and active within you. And He is using you to shine right into darkness. And this is why those in the faith, if we could steal a phrase from Timex, take a licking and just keep on ticking. (laughs) Man, I just don't know how you do it. You just... Even the hardest things in life. I don't know how I could handle that. But there you are. You just do. How do you do that? How do you handle the stuff in life that other people crack and crumble under? How do you do that? Because it is not about the hard shell on the outside that protects the Christian, and something fragile on the inside. It is quite the opposite to that. Paul says it this way in verse 8, going back to our text. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. We don't know everything all the time, and we don't understand all the reasons that are out there for why things are the way they are. We don't have to know it. What we do know is this we are not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body that, that jar of play, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. I say to you, brothers and sisters, that is good news of what Jesus has done to provide the strength that comes to the Christian from within. We talked a little bit about Job in class this morning. I intentionally didn't uh, make any comments because James uses Job for the very thing that we're talking about here. In fact, I would say to you, if I was reading into what James is talking about in this context chapter 5, he is basically saying, when I think of steadfastness and inward strength under pressure, I think of this patriarch called Job. This guy before even the old covenant of Moses. Way on back there, see. Toward the beginning of time. And what it is He shows us about faith in Christ and how God can work inward for an outward production or product. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What was that purpose? To show the weakness of Job was just weak. But the power of God was greater than Job. His struggle against all that Satan had to throw at him, Satan had no confidence in Job. Satan did not say, I have confidence in you. I believe in you. In fact, it was the opposite. But God had every confidence in Job. And God did believe in Job. And Job believed in God. Together, that was an unbreakable bond. God's belief in Job comes shining through his life. It dominates the argument of Satan. And it puts Satan in his place. I say to you, brothers and sisters, we can be foolish when injustice and difficulties and turmoil and hardship come into our lives and we start to get angry and we start to get bitter and we start to question God and we begin to slip away just a piece at a time. And the devil just keeps pouring it on as he sees us slipping. That's not like Job. We haven't learned the lesson. We don't get what we're talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We haven't gotten there yet. But I'm saying to you, brother and sister, if you're not there, you need to get there. It's the only thing that'll make you hold on, only thing to give you stability. Why would we ever get to thinking God doesn't believe in us? What on earth could give us that idea knowing about God, what we know about God? Well, my life sometimes miserable. Really? That's it? That's the, that's the case you're going to make? That life is sometimes hard and miserable and sometimes just plain stinks? And, and, and that's the argument about why God's not for you. Because life doesn't go the way you want it. That's, that's what we're going to do. Think about how foolish that kind of argument is. Where do we find that in Scripture, that life is just all tulips and daisies all the time? For the Christian, for the follower of God. Let me ask you a question. Is there a way for you to prove who God is and what God can see you through without difficulties? I mean, if it's all roses and, and daisies in life, what are you going to prove? That doesn't show anything about God in our life. Now it's this weak exterior shell that needs and that pleads that puts God in the limelight. How deceived and weak we are if we forget Jesus through trials. If we forget God through hardship. If we do not hold His truth and the ultimate message of salvation to shine out as to why we are who we are and why we deal with what we deal with, why we persist even through difficulties. I have a story for you, and it comes from Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And you already may be familiar with that section of text. It's where Satan comes before God. God says, basically, what are you doing? And Satan I'm paraphrasing, Satan basically just says, I've been walking around. You know, the same thing as saying, you know, nothing, I'm just innocent like a dove. That's me. I'm innocent, Satan. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Stop. And put yourself in that spot. Put yourself as the one who is a discussion item between Satan and And God. God says, have you considered my servant? Put your name there. Whatever your name is, put it there in that spot. Lock it in for a second. And Satan goes on to say, yes, I've considered him or her. I don't believe in them. If you allow me to bring discomfort into their life, If you will allow me to bring turmoil or loneliness. In fact, if you'll allow me to bring some financial pain into their life. If you'll allow me to cause their spouse not to be the most perfect grand person on earth to them for just a little while. If you'll just allow me for a moment to cause all kinds of health issues in their life. How about this one? If you'll allow me to cause a pandemic. Not just a little pandemic. I can, if you'll allow me to affect the whole world with a pandemic, they'll lose their faith. They won't believe in you anymore. If you'll just allow me to do to them what I would like to do to them, then I will, I will cause you, God, to see how frail they are and how unloyal they can be as your creation. I'll get them to reject your desire in their life. I'll get them to stop worshiping you the way that you have asked for them to. They'll forget their true purpose as a Christian and the missions upon which you uh, 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 of which you have given them for them to act on and live out on a daily daily basis. And given just enough enough time, I'll get some of them even to curse you to your face for being a lousy God. That's what we're seeing in Job. That's the kind of discussion that went on between God and Job. I'm not saying all those things, specific items. I'm just saying God's belief in Job compared to to Satan's disbelief. Satan looked at Job and he saw the outside. God looked at Job and he saw the inside. And there is a huge difference between those two things. Job could be brought low with little effort from Satan. But he could not be crushed or destroyed because of the power of God within. I'll say to you, brothers and sisters, have you ever gotten yourself into blunders and jeopardized the soul Settled into mediocrity, into sin. And maybe some are here this morning who are in that very place in their life, your life. It should mean something to us when we see our life is bigger than what's happening right now, physically speaking. It's bigger than our life. Our life is bigger than our life. Does that make sense? <laughs> When we see and hear God believes in us, and we see evidence of that from Scripture, when we read that He's still capable of bringing about great things in our existence from an earthen vessel, a jar of clay, our adversary, brothers and sisters, is the same as He has always been. He's the same one that came against Job back there in the patriarchal period. And the same things still exist in our lives that existed in theirs. Nothing has changed with regard to man's weakness, humankind's weakness, and God's great power. Job served God regardless of the consequences. In chapter 13, verse 15, it's worth uh, highlighting if you use your Bible as a tool like that. When all else fails, ladies and gentlemen, you say, I just don't know how I can go on any further. Think on this. Though he slay me, I will hope in God. Man, that is some courageous statement, if I've ever heard it. But you notice where the power came from. I will hope in myself. I will hope in God. Job knew where to draw his strength, and that's why he lasted. You and I are the same way, and that same battle is still occurring between God and Satan. And you and I, we're still in the middle. We're still items of conversation between these two great powers. The account of Job is not really about Job, after all. It is about God and the power that He provides by His Word, which works from within. So I'll say it again, God believes in us. He believes in our courage to do what is right as His people. He believes in our integrity to be the way we should before Him and before others who see His gospel message illuminating from us. He believes in our love for Him. He believes that we will continue to successfully do what He has commissioned us to do in our lifetime. God called Job righteous. I always notice that in the book of Job, don't you? Because what that proves to us is that we can please God with God's help and power at our side. We can, and we're meant to. And God will see to it. Each of these things that we've mentioned had a place. Uh, Each of these people had a place to fulfill in the plan of God. And You and I are no different than that. I'd like to quickly, as we close this morning, remind you of the mission that we have that's twofold. The first is to encourage, exhort, build up one another. Back to our Hebrew text. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 12. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dissolved but rather be healed. Do you see that that is your reason for being a jar of clay? You carry something valuable, more valuable than creation itself. Something that is from the very beginning of who God is and what God has created. We carry that in us. We dealt extensively with this kind of idea in our series enjoying the journey together last month. Why does God store His power and light in us? It is so that we may build up. So that we may strengthen one another. Do you see how wrong it is then when we tear one another down? When we push one another aside? When we pretend that one another are not important? It brings an understanding. I'm missing my purpose. If I don't know why I'm here, how am I going to fulfill it? You're here because God wants you to help others get to heaven. Build them. Grow them. Encourage them. Since Sam and I leave for a mission tomorrow, I can't help myself. I might just add right there, and it's a pat on the back to every, every one of you here this morning who are part of it all. It is also why you, the church here, find it important to send brethren from this place, as small as it is, to help build up brethren in other places of the world and make a difference. That's the reason. Because of the mission. Because of the mission. Similar to what we read in, uh, there in uh, second, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return go visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Look at chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened and the faith and they increased in numbers daily. We are blessed, brothers and sisters, to have a place in strengthening brethren wherever they are, as did Paul and Barnabas, the fellow workers with them, and the churches that helped them to do that. God believes in us to do that locally, here in this place, and abroad. And we are blessed to be part of that great commission in any way that we can. But it is a commission, and God does expect it. And it does take His power to do it. We also have a place in the kingdom to reach out to the lost. Not just strengthen those who are already saved, but draw in those who are unsaved. familiar passage to many of us is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. We call it the Great Commission. It's actually no greater than the one we just mentioned. But it is a great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that's how we make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God believes in us to accomplish that task as well. What am I getting at in all this? What I'm getting at, brother and sister, is you might have gotten to be the kind of Christian who's complacent and just sits who thinks that your purpose in life is just to be among God's people sometimes if something doesn't stand in the way. And that's just woefully inaccurate. No one survives in that condition. No one can survive in that condition. We need one another. We need to be people who are in a mission to build God's people. And we need to be people who are in and understand the mission of reaching out to those who are lost. Nothing else will matter if we don't get those two things right. Nothing else will matter. I want you to not miss what Jesus said after that. And lo, I am with you always. I love that. What a statement of confidence that brings. It's the source of strength in our mission. The Gospel message is for all, and though we are but earthen vessels, God believes in us to do what we should do. He has placed within us the most valuable commodity, that His message is living within us and is to be used to help others around us. I pray that God continue to help us to be the church and the persons who are truly interested in and love others. May God bless us in doing that. He believes in us, even though we're just jars of clay. Let's close as we bow together in prayer. Our Lord God in heaven, there are moments when we may forget who we are. The treasure that you have blessed us with and placed within us. In our moments of doubt and our moments of weakness, would you remind us, Father, that you are the power that lives within us. Behind the accomplishments of the two purposes that you have given, it's you, not we ourselves. You have placed within us a treasure that it, it will strengthen us in our greatest of tasks, in times of doubt, in times of weakness. Personally, congregationally, it is from you living within us that we are made strong. Help us to remember it is you that have made this vessel of clay so that as great things are accomplished, O God, we are giving glory to you in all of your power rather than to our weak and fragile, insufficient self. Help us to live by Your power, God, by Your successes, and to Your glory forever and ever we pray it. Amen. If it is that you're one this morning who is floundering, you're not alone. Every one of us have been in that place at some time or another, having yet to become a, a child of God. I want you to know God believes in you. That's why He created you, because He believes in you. He's offering you a better life, a life of purpose and joy and peace, a life of salvation eternally. I would beg that you not resist that this morning. Do what you know God is calling you to do. Maybe it is that you're one who has been living a life away from God, though you are his child. There's no reason to be the prodigal any further. When God has done such great things to bring you to him. Why don't you change that this morning if you're not right with him. If you want to come forward this morning, we'll pray with you, do whatever we can for you. Or if you'd like to talk in private, that would be great as well. Talk to me, talk to one of the other ministers or shepherds here in this place. We'd love to talk to you more. If it is that you need to respond to his call right now, why don't you do that? While together we stand and as we sing.